0: Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wen Lou. Joining me on the program once again is Michael Grange. Grange, you've been a, you've been a busy man, man. There's there's been no summer really for you. It's just every time something happens, you're the first to report it, and we all gotta call you about what's going on. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my salute, but you, you understand that you are hustling backwards. You are making more work for yourself.
1: I agree with that. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I thank you for that, but I am very much looking forward to some kind of resolution. And, uh, I look, I always enjoy a point in my summer when I don't think uh, even a little bit about the Toronto Raptors or the NBA, but, uh, hasn't happened yet. So uh-huh.
0: soon enough. Well, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, okay. So I think on this program, everyone wants to know about Pascal um, and his situation and what the Raptors are going to do with this whole thing. And so we'll touch on that. And I think I wanted to talk about just a little bit about sort of what you reported last week as well, about in terms of um, the dynamics in the locker room for the Raptors last season. But uh, yeah, let's let's start with the Pascal thing. So um, it's, it really does sound like, based on the reporting, that the Raptors are really intent on trying to move him. Is, do you think that that's sort of... Um, a correct characterization. And also I would say like, when did this sort of start for the Raptors?
1: I, I think it's uh it's a totally valid characterization. I think, you know, there's this kind of nuance on this stuff. Is it, are they trying to move him? Like, are they, is that their goal? Then they might say, no, um, you could say, no, are they interested in moving him? If the opportunity is right. I think it's indisputable to say yes. And, you know, is, is, if they don't end up trading him, what, you know, are they going to turn around and say, "Well, we were just, you know, we were just kind of gauging the value anyway"? I think that'd be a bit of a fib, but you know, I, not a fib, but you know, I, I think they're more on the ledger of we are trying to trade Pascal Siakam than you know just kind of dipping our toe in the water. But they're they would never say that you know they're, they're opposed to bring him back and they'll trade him at any cost. I mean that's just not going to happen. So. Um, And I think this has been sort of a a slow evolution. And if you go, say, back to the trade deadline, and we've talked so many times about all those decisions that were made around there and options, you know, I think they emerged from that recognizing that the most reasonable path forward, if they were going to, A, kind of alter their lineup be kind of avoid a situation where they had four max or near max players on their roster and uh you know was was if somebody was likely to go to go it would be Pascal Siakam i think it um and so i think it's been kind of in the back of their minds and i do think the lead up to the draft there was a lot of uh discussions going on and uh about you know could they get to the two pick uh would you know i think charlotte listened at the two pick um, could they get to three? Um, I think there was a big pushback from Siakam about the potential of going to Portland. I don't know if that was very high on his list of preferred destinations. Mm-hmm. And I do accept this idea that, you know, his primary destination preferred destination is Toronto anyway. Yep. Um, so, but I, th- I think just that lead up to the draft and those discussions, it's just kind of, uh, you know, the, the cat's kind of out of the bag Is is like once they kind of, went went there then then they kind of have kind of stayed there and um and that's how to fall out too right like is you've now been in a situation where your best returning player and somebody that's been you know nothing but a soldier for your organization really is you know i, mean, I can't put words in his mouth but i mean i think how would you feel <laughs> right yeah. if uh you know if you were in his situation and i think you know this. I you know this notion that he's he's not you know at summer league so far and he's not gonna. I don't think he will be coming to summer league. You know I think that's a small reflection of the fact that there is a you know a little bit of a disconnect in this relationship right now.
0: Yeah no I I think as you put it in your articles like it's it's like a vibe check you know and there's certain teams like you know vibes are very strong you know um like you know I was I was in the gym to to watch Denver play. uh and what they had, like, the whole roster was there, basically, except for Jokic, who obviously is in Serbia, and Jamal, who was away. But, like, everybody else was there. The head coach is there. GM's is there. And, and obviously, Bobby and, and Masai and, and Darko are there. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is fairly awkward. And I think we understand why Pascal is not there for this one. Um, okay, I, I think I wanted to clarify a couple of things in terms of just, like, so you reported that the Raptors – did offer Pascal a three-year extension coming into this season, and he declined on that one with the expectation that, uh, you know, there was a chance to pr- potentially pursue the Supermax extension if he had, uh, you know, qualified for All-NBA. Obviously, that didn't happen this past season. Um, And so this summer, has there been discussions between the Raptors and Pascal Siakam? Because it seems like Pascal very much would like to discuss the extension and stay. Uh, but the Raptors haven't actually had that conversation with them.
1: I don't think there's been anything meaningful. Um, okay. you know, I think that you know, I, I it's not like there's a cold, you know, there's like this chill in the relationship, they're not talking at all. Um, but I don't think that there's been any like, let's get together, let's sit down, let's map this out, let's talk about timing, let's talk about you know some of the things you're looking for. You know, and it, it, there's not a lot of negotiating in this deal, right? Other than the length of the extension, so so that really hasn't happened. Um, and you know, I think the reasoning is because they're still not 100% sure whether, you know, they they're going to go forward with the player or they're going to try and trade the player. So um, yeah, so I think that's where it is. And and you know, in I would say I think it's important to point out that the Raptors did offer. Um, as I have, you know, uh, at what was at the time the most years and money they could offer Pascal Siakam um, back towards the beginning of last year. Um, and, you know, so it wasn't like they've cold-shouldered the guy. They offered him a, you know, a three-year deal for upwards of 120 or $30 million. And, you know, Pascal decided that he would rather wait and see if he could do all NBA. And that would give him the opportunity to push for a 35% max, the super max and you know that didn't work out on his end and and i think you know when when i think from the rapper's point of view they're like okay well we offered you an extension you you chose not to have it Mm -hmm. and now we're exploring our options right so so i think that's how they look at this is is really truly this is business but it's never only business right it's there's always people involved and and uh, that's why it
0: gets tricky so i mean it seems like at the start of last season uh, after they win forty-eight games, after they lose in six to Philly, um, their plan was: here's the max extension of Pascal that we can offer at that time—three years, at the max, um, not super max because he was knowledgeable at that time and still isn't right now. And it, what based on what Fred talked about in his recent podcast appearance, um, you know, on I believe the Pivot, um, you know, Fred talked about how you know they had discussions about uh, a max extension at that time, which I think would have been four one fourteen for fred at the analysis so it seemed like the front office really wanted to lock in this group yeah and... they, my
1: yeah my understanding is they reached out to both of them kind of at the first opportunity okay and 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 let them know that this is you know we we would like to assign you for these reasons and these amounts and and for each of their own reasons they chose to to kind of right you know not to do it at the moment
0: Right, which honestly, that's that's up to the player and their agent side in terms of how they read the market at, at their current moments. And honestly, for Fred, he might have read the market correctly more than Bobby and, and Masai because he ultimately got the max, um, which is not that the Raps anything that the Raptors would have offered him. But coming into this offseason, so look, Houston comes in with this this this. The, they take the the Harden money, they give it to Fred, so Fred walks. Is this all essentially just a plan B then? In terms of just like okay, if Fred walks, then we gotta move Pascal because it doesn't make sense to have him anymore.
1: Um I don't know if they're they were connected. Like I think Fred could okay. have come back and they they still would have considered moving Pascal. Like I think uh um, what
0: sense would that make though, Grange? I mean, I think it's no I
1: mean you know, I, I don't I haven't had this specific I've asked, I haven't asked like, asked anyone that specific question. Um, I think if you're kind of looking at the complete scenario, I think you're still looking at, well, if we, you know, if where do we have a bit of, I don't want to say surplus, but where could we kind of use some of our strengths to shore up other areas of our lineup? And, you know, if you are talking about trying to integrate Scotty in a more full way, then, then and you, you know, you still see OG as, kind of the younger player who's maybe a a little more easier fit around Scotty, then it keeps coming back. And then you've now offered, you've got Fred on a huge number. You know, I think it would have made some sense even in that scenario to go, okay, well now we need to kind of redistribute some of how we're using our resources and, you know, either add more young players, add more picks, add, you know, add more shooting, you know, see what trading Siakam could generate for us. Uh, even with that lineup. So I don't think the fact that Fred fly, signed elsewhere triggered anything, uh, but, you know, once it happened, then, okay, well, well, maybe we do need to see what's out there. And 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 I think, that, uh, you know, a big thing driving this is, you know, I think they're going to – they're looking down the road, and they're probably going to have to max or near max OG. And they're, if all goes well, they'll have to max Scotty. And – you know then it gets very difficult in this environment to have you know if you're gonna go four years and two hundred million to Pascal in that scenario too, right and so I think it's is a little bit of that happening too where um you know for a team that's coming off forty one wins, do you want to be having how many guys do you want
0: making thirty plus million a year no, that's fair that 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 is fair but I mean, yeah, I mean at the same time though it it sounds like I, I'm just, I guess, I'm just confused about the direction. You know, what I mean, because again, coming into the, because <laughs> coming into this past season, you're it was confused? let's, uh, let's yeah. lock in Pascal and let's lock in Fred, and now it's like, well, we got to move these guys and yeah. maybe the other contracts, because all those things could be foreseen. Like, you, you know, you and I could have looked at the books, maybe with the help of Blake Murphy or something, and then we could, we could have been like, hey, you know, like, yeah, I, you're I, gonna, you're gonna come up with a cap crunch. So it's think, not like I think the, this.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you, if you kind of, you know, reverse time a little bit. And they're coming off a 40 ever wooden season and they, you know, they they are pretty bullish on the team. They lock up uh really good players at a good age on, I think pretty decent contracts mm-hmm. that, you know, would always be movable. You know, you wouldn't, neither of those contracts had they been signed would have been like Albatross contracts, not even no. close. No. And so, you know, so that all kind of made perfect sense. Um, and then it just didn't quite work out because you know the the players didn't want to play along and then the performance of the team didn't match up what your expectations are and i think they've kind of been a other than the general goal of trying to be incrementally better Mm -hmm. um they haven't had a clear direction as to what they're going to do and 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 I I think, you know, I don't think it's embarrassing for anyone to say that. It's just, it's just kind of things have sort of unfolded that way. And, and, um, you know, I think their position would be more like, well, we're going to stay competitive, stay ready, keep good players around, you know, and then Fred happened and then, okay, well then we're, you know, then, then probably it did kind of, um, you know, I said before it wasn't a trigger, but it did sort of maybe uh, kind of has maybe influenced some of their thinking, I guess. And, you know but i mean like everyone's kind of looking at this the same way and and it's you know and it doesn't matter if it's me or it's you or other lead people i talk with or other media i talk with everyone kind of looks at it and goes what exactly is happening
0: and, <laughs> exactly yeah
1: you know and right now and you can't you know it's hard to it's hard to answer that question because it's not really evident and um you know and and maybe it'll become clear and it wouldn't take all that much for it to become clear like you know they could make a trade for pascal tonight Uh and you know it could be for you know a really good young you know a really good young player who's got a couple more years on their deal and a couple of good draft picks and maybe another prospect on the roster and you're like yeah okay so they've turned one good player into four potential assets and they've shifted their timeline back towards Scotty and OG, and yeah, this all kind of makes sense. Let's move on, you know. And uh, but until that happens, you know, people are going to ask questions and have reactions like yours.
0: No, that's fair. Um, okay, so in terms of the teams interested, that the market right now for Pascal, I mean, you know, it's not like this is the only slide that's available. Obviously, Dame and, and James Harden are the two. Uh, more prominent ones. Those situations, those players have specifically asked out, and so they're different. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, you reported Atlanta. That's the team that you know has come up even before the draft. Um, you know that's sort of been strong in that sense. Uh, you know, you you've reported on Indiana potentially joining into the mix. I just watched Indiana's players. Uh, I would like. I would like honestly. If you give me that you give me three players off that starting lineup that I just saw them play in summer league yesterday. I actually, I think there's a good deal to be made here. Uh, you know, it seems like Orlando's jumping into the mix. Uh, yeah. yeah so I someone, mean...
1: someone, someone mentioned Orlando to me the other day and, and that one kind of is interesting because, um, you know, Siakam, that's where his off season home is. Right. Right. And so, you know, so, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how, I don't want to say seriously, but, like I think, if Pascal Siakam is traded, and the team he's traded to is anything other than a complete disaster, which it's probably not, it's not going to be. Like you're not going to go trade for Pascal Siakam if you don't think you're gonna, you know, you're you're making a move of some sort, um, and they want to extend him right away. Like the chances are he's going to take the money, right? Like nobody doesn't take the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're Orlando, you know, you might feel like you'd be getting a player who would actually be really happy to end up there. That's and, fair. And, um, you know, like in their promising young team, um, like I say, he's, he's got an off season there. You know, it's Florida, it's warm weather. It's no taste. to Say tax. Yes. Like it's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's, it, there's worse places you could end up. And, um, so I think that was an, when someone mentioned that to me the other day, I was, that wouldn't really pick my interest anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, the fit there would be a little odd just because they do have Franz Wagner. They do have Palo Banquero um those guys can shoot better than like let's say og and scotty as a pairing but i mean at the same time it's like you know they essentially inherit toronto's problem but i guess like that's always been jeff altman's idea too is just like get all these long forwards you know what i mean like he might have had vision Six Nine before the raptors had vision Six Nine. you know what i mean so like that's interesting i mean yeah i think if you had to guess in terms of which team had the strongest interest is it, is it still atlanta
1: yeah I couldn't answer that one you know I, I you know and and sometimes you hear these these teams and you know if you were to be able to hear their version of events, they would say yeah we, we closed the book on that a week ago <laughs> you know what I mean so so it's just really hard to know when you're hearing some of the stuff the actual dates on it like people mm-hmm. aren't just giving you their cell phone records, right so um you know but I mean Atlanta seems pretty persistent you can kind of see the fit. I mean if you're Indiana, you know, they're, you could talk yourself into it pretty quickly, right? Oh, that's the one knee they have
0: is the forward position. Yeah.
1: You know, and and you could be a great fit alongside uh, Turner and all that kind of stuff. So, and and Orlando, like, I mean, who knows what the Raptors would be looking for off that roster? Who knows what Orlando would be looking to give up? I mean, they're got to look ahead and, and consider some of the same issues of, of, you know, they can't pay everyone on that team either. And mm-hmm. who knows, you know, but I would say this, I think they have a ton of really interesting players, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so, so I guess the overall theme there is, it sounds like there are some opportunities to make deals and uh, just, it seems, you know, it's going to come down to how, you know, how hard a bargain is going to, going to drive. And if in the end they kind of go, you know what, We'll uh, we'll take Pascal
0: out for dinner, and we're going to sign him and try and make this all go away. You never just never know. Well, listen, I, I do hope that they don't, you know, fray the relationship in, in that way. I mean, listen, the relationship can be fixed, as you mentioned, with a a four year a hundred ninety uh-huh. million dollar contract. I, I mean, I would get over some feelings too, but <laughs> I, I I mean, yeah, listen, I, I just think that you know you got, you have to kind of walk a, a a tight line here or a fine line here. I'm um, just pivoting over quickly to. Um, something else that you mentioned in terms of just the locker room dynamics last year with the team. And I think anyone around the team last year, especially, I don't know, by the time December rolled around, um, started to realize like, Hey, something really stinks here. <laughs> it's not the happiest group. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I think people are sort of always speculating as to sort of what goes on. And, um, you know, you, you finally brought forward the idea that, uh, you know, guys like Pascal and, and Fred were a little bit frustrated with some of the sort of I don't know the seriousness of approach in terms of the work with some of the younger guys. I'll leave you to characterize that because I'm just kind of paraphrasing based on what I read, but uh, yeah, I mean like, well, so is that, is that the major thing that sort of like quote unquote divided the locker room is just the older guys are trying to lead these younger guys. And maybe the younger guys didn't want to be led by these guys, or maybe the older guys didn't lead in the right ways. Maybe they had a legitimate gripe. Like, I don't know. I guess this is the kind of tea that everyone wants.
1: Yeah. Um, you know i think it's it's probably not all as, as clear-cut right and I, but I, I think if you're gonna one way to look at it is this way right is in fred and pascal you have two guys who one who was undrafted one who was like a late pick out of nowhere and who neither of those guys ever once in their nba career has been handed a single thing right they joined teams that were already really good They had to pay a lot of dues in terms of their role, in terms of their position in the, you know, playing through the G League. And, um, you know, it's no exaggeration to say every single thing that they have achieved in their careers, they've earned. And they've earned it by kind of accepting different roles, accepting just just coming up. So as much as you can come up the hard way in the NBA. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: D league, um, all that you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not, it's not a coal mine. We shouldn't over exaggerate this stuff, but you know, they, they, they weren't given uh, uh nothing was given. Mm-hmm. And I think that now that they're in a situation where they are kind of running a team, so to speak, like they are the Colin DeMar of their, you know, era and they look around and that's not, I think there's two kind of things happening. One is, I think, you know, they can look at some of the other guys that they're playing with, and they that hasn't been their experience, right? It's been, you know, if it's Scotty, it's been, you know, you know, top four pick and uh, everything kind of, not handed to you, but like... Starts right away.
0: And yeah, the one been, game that yeah, he came off the bench last year, or th- this past season, uh, it led to some real issues.
1: <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, you're
0: right. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, and that's true, you know, OG to a lesser extent, right? Like he, everything's kind of been yeah. kind of laid out for him and you can kind of go down the line. And Precious. so I think yeah, so I think I think the so I think that's one element. And I think another element is, and you you like not to sound like an old guy, but you talk to coaches, older players, executives, and like players who are coming into the league now just like i think kids young like there's a different generation sort of yeah. speak, coming yeah. up, and and not that fred and Pascal are suddenly ancient but i just i do think that their experience coming up as athletes 10 years ago is different than someone coming up now i think and, it's a social media um,
0: like that's the that's the divide yeah, like yeah like
1: i i don't want to you know put labels on things i'm not a sociologist but like that's as good a guess as any right mm-hmm. you know it's like what did austin Rivers say you know like
0: uh like, Not everyone should get a, a hoop life mixtape.
1: Exactly, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so I, th- so I think there's a little bit of that, and and I think just think at a certain point in the year uh, it kind of boiled over a little bit, and you know Fred was certainly the most vocal about it, right? And and uh, I think there was some pushback on it, but I think I think his feelings were shared by Pascal. I know his feelings were shared, and mm-hmm. and so it was kind of like all of a sudden they're like these grumpy old heads, and the young guys are like, man, you know, I don't think they appreciated being told. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's not like they were so
0: good that uh or that or that the results on the court were so great that uh right it's undeniable like we have to do this, you know what I mean it's also kind right. of like eh, I don't yeah. even know and you and, know?
1: I, and, I, and I do think and I wrote this in the article and a lot of these dynamics happen all the time, but if yeah. you're a 50 win team, it's not that big a deal mm-hmm. uh, if you're a 25 win team, people maybe, uh, maybe guys don't even care right but they were just in this weird situation of underachieving, And they just couldn't seem to get out of their own way. And, you know, I think this is something that I think there was something to it. There's probably a lot to it. But is it the only reason they ever struggled? No, of course not. But Mm -hmm. but it just became something that you could hang some stuff on just because of the way the season went.
0: That's fair. It was uh, unhappy to watch, unhappy to to cover even at times. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the players themselves being, you know, unhappy with some of the, the dynamics, I, I would suspect. I, uh, I should, I not a surprise, add, you know?
1: Yeah. And I know you got to go, but I should add to, like, and, you know, if you're, if you're like, why was Nick Nurse like, oh, I mean, what, you know, I think one of the reasons was not being able to kind of, solve some of that yeah, right? of and, 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 you know, get some of your younger guys to buy in or be accountable in a different way and, and find a way that your older guys could get sort of, uh, you know, that is sort of a coach's job too, right? It's not just up to the players to kind of solve all that stuff. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of blame to go around in a lot of directions.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like really nobody is blameless in this whole situation. Like you could say some of the older guys could have done a better job of leading. Uh, we could say some of the younger guys could have been a little bit more mature about the whole situation um you could say nick could have coached more in passionately or more invested or anything like that or even in a different approach uh, ultimately it just didn't work out you know what i mean it's not as dramatic as something maybe it all seems from maybe from the outside when we're sort of like oh my god i want to know what's finding what's what's going on with the team what's wrong with my team it's just like the team just wasn't that good last year <laughs> And, you know, and, and that and when people expect the team to be good and the team's not good, you you, you have that difference between what's actually happening versus expectations. And, you know, ne- naturally you see negative feelings sort of sprout from that. But it's not like there was some sort of fight or any sort of like any sort of big drama behind the whole thing. I think it's just more, you know, it's just it was a it, it's just a situation that didn't work out. But Fred's moved on. Maybe Pascal moves on. But, uh, Pat, you know. Grange, you will be here. And uh, I'm sure with more (laughs) news to come, uh, you know, I think it's going to keep you away from the golf course even longer. So uh, I appreciate you, Grange. That's all I want to say.
1: All right, man. All right. Uh, Enjoy Vegas. Are you a big gambler, Will? Do you – is that how you entertain yourself in your free
0: time? Or are you kind of – So this this being my first Vegas, like, I I just – or Summer League, like, I just, like, didn't expect, like, it to be so all-consuming in terms of, like, just nine, ten hours of basketball at a time um so i'm trying to find some time to go downstairs and just like you know lose some money at texas hold'em but uh <laughs> that, w- that it will definitely happen at some point and i, I have taken out cash for this express purpose so all right. uh, okay well good luck with it thank you all right grange okay. appreciate he you all right. okay that was our interview with michael grange uh we're going to take a quick break and i'm going to come back with some of my own personal thoughts on what's been happening with the team especially in terms of the direction of the team and also what's going on with pascal so stay tuned Thanks to Michael Grange for making time to come on the program as always. Um, definitely appreciate Grange. He's been really on top of pretty much everything that's gone on in the offseason. And, um, yeah, I think I just wanted to come back here and just offer up a couple of thoughts to wrap up on uh, the situation. I think, number one, um, I just don't get a great sense that the front office has a coherent plan. And, um That's not to say that they're a bad front office. That's not to say that I'm at all ungrateful for uh, what they have brought to Toronto. I think all those things are true, right? I think good GMs can make bad decisions sometimes, or I think good GMs can get themselves caught in a situation where there's not a great win or or, or, or a way out in all the situations. But I think to me, um, I'm I'm just not really sure because I think if you were going to be full on – not even run it back or try to contend, but try to improve the team, let's just say, right? Um, that was the direction of the team. Like, at the trade deadline when the Raptors were, what, five games under five hundred at, at the trade deadline, it made complete sense to move off of some of the pieces then. You probably would have gotten better offers at that time, right? Now, Masai instead goes the other direction, gets in Yaka Pertl, um, you know, gets out there and, and talks about sort of um, there's some selfishness on the team, but, you know, they still believe in this group and they want to keep pushing forward. But at the same time, they also want to develop, right? A kind of like pretty much asking for the world. I remember Bobby going on, you know, Sportsnet then as well and, and talking about things like, you know, I think we can get right back to uh, winning and um, on, on all that. And, and, you know, that's all Masai really talks about is winning, winning, winning. And so you bring in Yakapurto instead. That suggests they want to continue to push. And that was the big piece missing from the team in terms of what the Raptors roster was at that time. You needed a center. And you know, you could debate whether or not the Raptors um played great, played okay, played bad uh, after the acquisition, but the record is the record, right? They went what 15 and 10 with Yak in the in the lineup. That's good. That's pretty good. Um you can break it down, you could say, well, this team didn't have this guy, or this team doesn't and I'm and I'm not arguing, like I'm not saying that the Raptors turned into the 73 Win Warriors. But they played better. They definitely played better as compared to where they were. Was it good enough to make the playoffs? Proper? No. Was it good enough to even get out of the play-in race? No. Was it good enough to win a play-in game? No. Right. And so I totally understand when they go into the whole thing and it's like, well, you know, we didn't. It's not like there's something so good here that's undeniable that we got to keep building on and, and sort of hold on to the way that. Maybe that was the feeling after the end of last season, for example, when they won 48 games and lost in six to uh, the Sixers. There was a much more sense of optimism and, um, you know, just enthusiasm around the group as compared to this past season. So you come into the off season. Right, the first thing you, a business is you got to swap out the head coach. Well, it seemed like Nick's time in Toronto had run to you know to to an end. That's fine. You get rid of Nick. You go through this long, extensive coaching search, which you know obviously took some time. We talked, we covered it extensively on the program. They come out of it with a first-time head coach um, in Darko Rajakovic, at least in the NBA l- level. Right? He's I know he's been head coach in D League or in, in overseas, but NBA is different. Right? First-time NBA head coach, um, and he's younger. His reputation is player development everything he talked about in that press conference is player development everything he's talked about since is player development darko's talked about we got to take a step back you know we got to be okay to take a step back just to you know get better in the future all that's okay again that's fine but are we winning or are we losing or or, or are we developing right is you know what i mean like what are we doing and going that decision suggested that it was um you know more of a developing situation and I know that in the course of that head coaching search none of the players were really um consulted in terms of like hey who do you you know what do you think of this guy's head coach you know I mean that that comes up in other places for example like you know when Embiid was you know um when the Sixers were looking for head coach Embiid gets to meet with Nick and sort of you know get a vibe check I suppose um you know when you know the Bucks were trying to replace Mike Boonholzer, Giannis gets to meet with some of the coaches and, and really, you know, vibed with Adrian Griffin, for example. So they go, you know, there's that opportunity. Now, of course we don't have an Embiid, we don't have a Giannis, but you know, still that is one way that, you know, teams can approach it, right? Get their star player to ask them in terms of what you really want to see from the situation or who do you like, essentially that was not done in Toronto. Um, And so again, when they hire a developing coach, it sounds like they want to move in development. They go into the draft, and whatever. I mean, the draft is the draft. Um, you know, I'm sure the Raptors had their own tiers of which players they liked. And I think to, they were a little bit surprised to see Grady available to them at 13. I know that all the mock drafts had them anywhere from like, you know, I think 8, 9, 10 range, um, you know, down to like the mid-teens. So it's it's not like it was like the biggest shock in the world. I mean, the biggest drop on, on draft night was Ken Whitmore. Um, but Grady's there. They take Grady. Right, and what was the conversation then? Well, both Bobby and Grady talked about how they can come in and make an immediate impact. Right, and immediate impact addressing the shooting position sounds like they want to win, and it's not saying that we drafted Grady because he's like the most immediate piece. Because, like, let's be real, he's a 19-year-old freshman coming into the league. Realistically, that's going to be difficult for any player of that ilk to to come in and contribute immediately. But hey, listen, the discussion was. Immediate impact. Bobby said it, Grady said it, right? So and and again, they chose not to draft a point guard. There were lots of point guards available at that position. I mean, there's a lot of point guards in this draft period, but two guys in particular that I talked about on this program, um, that I've seen now in person at Summer League, um, play a couple of times, Keontae George and Kobe Buffkin. And let me tell you, both guys look really, really, really impressive. And you could say, Well, it's just summer league. I I agree. I agree. At the summer league setting, they look really impressive. But, you know, those guys were available. Keontae George went later in the draft to um, Utah, and Kobe went 15th to Atlanta, right? A guy like Kobe, they brought in twice for workouts. I think he's the only guy who they brought in twice for workouts. If they anticipated that Fred was going to walk, make would make sense to draft a point guard. But, hey, they, they chose not to. Maybe Grady was just too good to pass up. They always will say, best player available, best player available, best player available. So they draft Grady. Okay. Then they move into the free agency period, right? Jacoporto gets retained. Well, first off, you have to retain him, right? Imagine you lost him after you traded a first-round pick. You had to retain him. You got to give him a pretty fair contract, um, give him the player option, essentially give them everything that you can really do in terms of just like, we're going to pay the highest price for this player, and therefore we're going to get him. Well, guess what? That's what Houston did with Fred and By all accounts, it seemed like the Raptors were willing to offer more money. I mean, it seems like the Raptors offered more guaranteed money, it sounded like, over the life of the deal. Obviously, Houston gave them the most money per year possible with the max for two years. But the third year is a player option, right? Um, And for Toronto, it seemed like they had added uh, a non-guaranteed fourth year with, like, some extra guaranteed money. Let's say, like, I don't know – You know, a little bit of extra money, let's say. But Toronto actually offered more guaranteed money. Now, obviously, over more years, so it's not the same. But, you know, they thought that that was a competitive offer. Why would you do that if you didn't actually intend to keep Fred, for example? Fred ends up up walking on you. You don't get anything back for Fred. You don't orchestrate a sign-and-trade for Fred either. I mean, you know, you can look at Memphis, for example. They're able to work a sign-and-trade with Dylan Brooks, all that kind of stuff. You don't even get a trade to player exception. You get nothing, right, for a player that you developed, and you move on. Right. And now the whole talk is well, we're going to have the ball in Scotty Barnes' hands more, right? Darko, again, every time he's talked about it, we're going to put the the balls in Scotty's hands. We're going to have to, you know, we're going to, we're excited about it. We're going to live through some of the, the ups and downs with that. But we, we want to see that long term. Meanwhile, you have this Pascal situation that we just talked about with Grange. And it's like, okay, well, again, if you really squint and you look at it, it's like, well, uh, you have Fred walking on the door, but you're able to at least get in, you know, with Fred walking, you have more financial options, so you're able to use the mid-level exception now. You're able to use the biannual exception now. Okay, so you, you use those. And honestly, I, I like the signings. I like Dennis Schroeder. Um, I like Jalen McDaniels. Both guys, I think, can play for the Raptors. They can be in the rotation. They can serve roles in the rotation. Jalen, I think, more so if, you know, if some more trades are made to to get a bench guard – um, in, in exchange for one of their forwards. But listen, uh, you know, I think quality-wise, he has enough quality to play for the Raptors. And Dennis absolutely does. So you could say, well, okay, you let Fred go, but you gain these other pieces. Maybe you get more balance on the roster. Maybe this is the direction you're moving. And then you go into this thing and it's like well I don't know sounds like Pascal is not to move and and so it sounds like now they really do want to rebuild they really do want to take their lumps and who knows maybe maybe you have an option now to re-sign OG I mean you have the new extension rules so you're able to pay him what at least 30 million per year in the last 2 years of his deal probably start at 26 go to 28 30 and then 32 right that's the max extension I believe for OG that they can sign maybe they've already had those talks and maybe OG's willing to do that Okay, but he better be willing to do that because if you're trading Pascal and you lose OG, all of a sudden you go from having great wings to having no starting wings, right? Well, except from Saudi, who you're putting a point. So I'm not calling a wing anymore. What are you? What are you doing with that whole situation, right? And then the whole situation is what? But Pascal's name has been out there for what? At the trade deadline, it was kind of out there. Um, at the draft, it was out there a lot. Um, at free agency it's been out there and it's I'm sure people have talked about it a ton here at summer league. And it's like, yo, at, at some point, um, are you going to communicate with this camp in terms of what is going on? Right. Is, is the whole situation where it's, is this something where, Hey, listen, other teams are calling about you, but we're just here listening and that's our job. And we can't guarantee you that we don't trade you, but you know, this is um, what is going on and, and you keep them in the loop, right? There's that approach. There's the other approach where you say, listen, hey, we are gonna trade you. And so hang tight, you know, maybe move some of your stuff out of Toronto in the meantime, maybe do the quiet thing with the boxes. And um, you know, again, we'll stay in communication, we'll try to get you to a place that you like, but ultimately we want to move on towards this rebuild. That communication has not been out there um to Pascal. And so it's like you're just letting him flap in the wind. Meanwhile, he actually genuinely wants to stay. For reasons even beyond money, not to say the money is insignificant, but reasons beyond money, there's genuine love there that he wants to stay in Toronto. He's willing to sign an extension, even with some of the pieces moving on. And so it's not like a Damien Lillard situation where it's like, I'm demanding out and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. He actually is demanding in. And so you are trading him, yes, as an expiring player, but knowing that the option isn't just, okay, we got to get something for Pascal before he walks. He actually wants to stay. Now, honestly, with all this, Stuff going on, maybe he doesn't even want to stay in the first place. Or maybe he Maybe the relationship sours, right? Because, again, how it has been treated. But you want to move in this rebuilding direction, fine. You, you you can move in it. But, like, when has it really been suggested that you really want to move in this direction in terms of just, like, is is there a concrete plan? Like, going back to last year, the plan was to build, right? The plan was to build. Even when you were 5-under 500, the plan was to build. And even when you have players available to leave in free agency for nothing like Fred did, the plan was to build, at least for the second half of the year. You traded the pick, you only gave a top six protection. So you're not even saying with a lot of confidence that, okay, we are, you're not even hedging your bet. Like, that's not a very strong hedge, right? If you were to say, like, hey, maybe we'll rebuild next year, why don't you do lottery protected? Honestly, with Yaku Proto and the options out there, was anyone offering better than a lottery protected first round pick, right? I'm genuinely not sure. So you you end up doing um, all this. And yeah, I mean, now you're in a position where, Look, I, I look, listen, if you want to rebuild, I get it. Like, I totally get it, right? That might be the prudent thing to do. Maybe Fred walks and you're like, okay, plan B was to rebuild. If that's the case, why did you instantly sign, you know, um, Dennis Schroeder, who's 29 years old, for the mid-level, right? Would, would it not have made sense to then use a draft pick to spend at the guard position in terms of guys who could handle, especially when there were good options on the board? Um, and then if that's the case, can you not at least handle the situation with Pascal in a way that's better than what it's been currently handled as, where I think that even if you come back and smooth things over and give him the extension that he wants here in Toronto, all that kind of stuff, and it's not Supermax, by the way, just a regular extension, like maybe you could still go back in that direction. But like right now, everyone's just flopping out in the wind. Everything is just kind of like messy. And again, like what is the vision here, right? What is the vision? Is Masai going to come back out to the press conference and talk about the goal is is, is, about, is about winning what is it about right now because i think it's very confusing i think for you know a lot of fans it's kind of frustrated right like you can't really fully buy into anything on the team i mean i guess the only thing you can really say is scotty's going to be here but you don't really feel long-term permanence with og right where's the extension talks with gary i suppose that's being held out by pascal potentially um but where is that right um and what is the specific direction and what are you trying to sell to the fans too like listen In terms of just, again, dealing with fans in in, in that way, right? And I've said this on the program many times throughout the year about how the ticket price is going to go up, even though the product's been going down. You just put the tickets up 10 15%, right, across the board for season ticket holders. Um, And what are you going to treat them to, right? If it's a developmental year, what, 20-some-odd wins, 30-odd-some-odd wins? And by the way, 30-some-odd wins will be a bad result considering the fact that you don't have your first-round pick. If you want to keep your first-round pick, which is top six protected, you need to be one of the bottom two records in the league to guarantee you keep that. So, again, what are you doing? And you are now also screwing the fan base, or at least the paying fan base, in terms of the product on the floor for next year. Because, listen, if you were going to rebuild, maybe you don't put up the prices, right? But if the plan was to rebuild, maybe the prices don't go up in the first place. So, again, what is the plan? What are we moving forward with? Can we at least have good conversations with Pascal and the group in terms of managing this whole situation? Because it's not like he's actually gone. It's not like he's requested out, right? There needs to be um, good coordination with all this. And listen, if you whatever direction you want to move in, you know what? Just, just do it. But there has to be a better plan moving forward. Like there has to be something more cohesive than like, what this team has been because we have issues in the locker room, right? That sort of was addressed. A lot of that was down to losing. Are those issues going to crop back up when they lose even more next year? Right? So there, and and you hear all these stories, you hear all these leaks, you hear all these other, all this other kind of stuff and whatever people can dive into the nature of leaks, honestly, unless you really know the reporter or, or even the other side or the agent or the, the team. I mean, who, who really knows, you know what I mean? Who really knows who, where all this information is coming from, all that kind of stuff. But Ultimately, every report is 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 pretty negative when you really think about it. Over the last couple of weeks, in terms of you had issues with your coaches, you had issues with the players, you had issues with the players not developing, you have issues with not getting a lot of great talents to come into this team recently. You have issues with players losing going out the door. Like it's it's just a lot. It's just a lot. And I think in Toronto we've been really spoiled with good management because we know what that looks like. We know what fleecing teams looks like. We know what drafting players looks like. We know what. Even the summer league thing, and I, and I wrote about this in 10 Things. I mean, whatever, 10 Things sometimes can be a little too short in terms of getting um, some longer, more nuanced points across. But my whole point with one of the things that I've been writing about with the summer league roster is just like the summer league is a good sign of like who do you have in the pipeline in terms of who are you developing in your two ways, who are you developing in terms of in your G League prospects, who are you developing as draft picks, second rounders, all that kind of stuff. Like I was watching a game yesterday. Indiana had Benedict Matherin out there last year's first round pick. Uh, Andrew Nemhard, out there who was the best player on the court. Um, you know, he was, you know, their second round pick from last year, played a lot in the rotation, right? They had um, Jackson out there who is, you know, a rotation forward for them, kind of a Kenneth three type, a lot of energy, all that kind of stuff. They had Jairus Walker, their first round pick this year, out there for them, looking pretty great, really good with the handle. Again, I'll go with, into a more in-depth discussion about prospects and guys that I liked um, in terms of watching Summer League later on. I wanted to get through this Pascal stuff first. But like you had him out there, you had Ben Shepard out there, who was another first-round pick from this year. We're talking about a team with five picked prospects, some highly picked prospects out there. And that's just in the starting five alone. They got some two-way guys coming off the bench that I like too for Indiana, right? Like that's that's what a talented team looks like in terms of a team that has spent time to really replenish and and make some pretty good moves and make some pretty good trades and build around a culture and you know they come to summer league with something and i'm telling you the raptors in previous years have been like that right a couple years ago scotty dolano what champagne precious um malachi like those are five guys that would actually play on a basketball court in an nba setting they brought those five guys to the summer league as recently as two years ago this year when the Summer League, we got Grady as your only first-round pick. Like, the whole roster, just one guy, was a first-round pick. Not even, like, a former second first-round pick that's, like, trying to make it in the second chance or all kind of stuff. One first-round pick, right? We have some two two-ways that were un- undrafted players that were signed to your roster. And Ron Harper and Marquise Noel, those guys are interesting. Um, we'll see. But, like, even the guys who have been in your program for a couple of years, like a Dennis uh, or like a David Johnson, who has mostly been in the G League setting, but like, like a Ron Harper who was on your two-way last year, like a – Joe camp, who joined your team in, in January, what, those guys have actually looked worse than some of the other guys who have come in, like joining the program new. Some of them don't even start on the summer league team, right? So that's my point with that. It's like it's it's a sign of what you have and it's a sign of sort of like what you have accumulated. And to show up the summer league with this group, with all due respect to them, is 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 a sign that, again, the organization has just like not done a great job of accumulating those kind of players and and I understand that, you know, Jeff Down has been injured, uh, and that Christian Caloco wasn't playing because he's injured. So those guys could have come in there and done something. I would have loved to see it. But, you know, I mean, that can't be make or break. You know what I mean? Like again, like look at look at what Indiana had out there. Four first round picks, and the actual the best player on the floor was actually Andrew Nemhard, who was your second round pick from last year. Like, that's impressive. That's impressive. So Anyway, um, lots of questions with the organization. I think it's been messy. I think anyone who's followed the team has been sort of really frustrated or disappointed at what's been going on. And um, you know, um, I guess I guess we'll find out more. But in terms of summer league itself, I'll have more reaction podcasts. I will have more takeaways. I'm going to have some a whole bunch of interviews as well with uh, a lot of players and coaches coming up too. So I'm excited to you know show you those and, and bring you those on the podcast feed. Uh, appreciate Raptors PR for setting those up. And, and, of course, I'm going to have like a bigger review of like the guys I really like, the guys who really stood out uh, in terms of rookies and even some um, you know, undrafted prospects and all that kind of stuff that have uh, really you know, shown out here at Summer League. So thanks everyone for listening. Thanks to Grange for coming on the program once again. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the show. And, uh, yeah, I guess we will all find out what goes on ultimately with this Pascal stuff.